0: You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org.
1: Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Tully Wagner boys basketball coach at North Marion High School. Coach, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me, Coach.
1: Yeah, thanks for taking the time uh, to join us. Uh, coach, for those that might not be familiar with you, can you give us a little bit about your, your basketball history, uh, coaching background, and, and how you ended up as the head boys coach at North Marion High School? Sure. Um, so, first of all, like a lot of coaches,
2: there's coaching in my family. Um, so I always kind of knew it was something that I might want to get into. Uh, my grandfather was the track coach at Oregon state. Um, he had the chance to coach Dick Fosbury in the high jump when he was there. Um, and then my dad coached a variety of different things growing up. So it was always something that I, that I kind of knew that, uh, what I'd be getting into and you know, how enjoyable it could be. Um, I grew up in Vale, Oregon, so that's in Eastern Oregon. Um, and my high school coach was a guy by the name of Tom Snook. Um, he has a couple hundred wins. He was a, a great mentor for me. Um, and that kind of really started how I got into coaching. Um, I played for him. And then in college I came back a couple times and helped out um, while I was on break from, from school and stuff. And uh, it really kind of gave me a chance to get my feet wet at a young age. Um, and so then also while I was in college, I got a job working at a summer camp in Pennsylvania. Um, and it wasn't just a basketball camp, but my specific job there was to be running the basketball program and working on skills.
3: Um,
2: and, you know, something I didn't know when I when I took that job was that the guy that was going to be my boss was a Philadelphia high school basketball coaching legend um, by the name of Steve Chadwin. Um, and he coached Abington Friends School. Uh, for many years, had a lot of D1 guys come out of there. Maybe the most notable is the other Michael Jordan that started Penn and led Penn to the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, working there, it's the camp's kind of in the middle of the note of nowhere in the Pocono Mountains. Um, not a lot to do in the evenings. So I just got to sit down and talk basketball and talk life, uh, with Coach Chadwin and, you know, just really <laughs> some great moments, um, uh, that helped me develop a lot so then uh, after I graduated college coach Chadwin's son Jamie was the head coach at Immaculata University uh, which is a division three school outside of Philadelphia and the summer after I graduated college he had an opening for his assistant coach job and I had worked with him from time to time at the camp as well Um, and so you know I remember the day really, really well but we were just walking and and talking, and he said, oh, hey, I have an opening for my assistant job. Uh, Do you want to take it? And so, you know, me from a a kid from small town Oregon, uh, that was awesome, and so I I moved across the country to Philadelphia and became a D3 assistant coach, um, which was a super rewarding experience. I got to see, you know, everything that goes into coaching a D3 program, and uh, I was really lucky that that Jamie allowed me to you know, do a lot for an assistant, so I was out on the road recruiting. Um, I was scouting other teams whenever we were the lead scout on an opponent, then we got to do the defensive matchups during the game um, so it was it was something that I really you know learned and, and grew a lot from. Uh, I got to recruit rip hamilton 's little brother we didn 't get him he ended up going d two uh, but that was that was pretty cool. Uh, they showed up for the they showed up for the tour, and I was kind of explaining, and his mom said, oh, I've done this a few times with my other son, and I was like, oh, you know, who's your other <laughs> son? R- Rip Hamilton. I was like, okay, you know how it works.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, no kidding.
2: So then after after that year, I, a teaching opening came open at North Marion, and that's where I had done my student teaching. Um, and so as awesome as coaching D3 was, it, it doesn't really pay the bills as a D3 assistant. Um, I was living in a friend's house for free felt kind of bad about that and so when the teaching job came open at North Marion I moved back to Oregon Um, I got to work under Chris Parkinson for three years as the JV coach and he he really had the program going in the right direction when he left so year one when I got the varsity job and was able to come in we were ready to go Um, and so yeah now I'm in year seven of being the head coach at North Marion and I feel real fortunate we have a great community and great guys
1: yeah, very cool, Coach. Uh, I'm curious, you know, those those late nights uh, in the Poconos talking to Coach Chadwin, what, what's maybe like one thing uh, that you still think about maybe all the time or one thing that maybe he taught you that, that you use every day in your program?
2: I think the maybe the most important thing that he just hammered home and hammered home and hammered home is, uh, you know, most of these guys that you're coaching – aren't going to be basketball players for their life. Uh, They get this time in high school and and some lucky ones get time in college. Um, But really you're, you're preparing them for, for life. And you're not thinking about it as a, this is a four year relationship while they're in high school. This is a 50 year relationship while, you know, they go through the ups and downs of, of what life is. And, you know, just as a super competitive guy myself, um, and being so young at that time, that really, really kind of sunk in uh, because I think it's easy to get caught up in the, the day-to-day wins and losses. And, you know, obviously those matter, but um, it's the fact that I was hearing that every day when I was, you know, 21, 22, 23, I think really helped shape my outlook on on how, what I wanted to be as a coach. And I still call him, you know, every every time I have something pop up. Uh, you know, he's retired now. He just got the court named after him last year, which was really cool. But, um, I still call him when I have something come up and say, Hey, how do I deal with this? What should I do? Um, and you know, he's just a sounding board that's there to support me, you know, whenever I need it, which is really cool.
1: That is really cool. I want to talk about, or just ask you about the process from, from being the GD coach and assistant, uh, to then kind of taking over as, as the head coach, what was that mm-hmm. kind of process like, and, and what did you do to kind of, you know, establish yourself as, as the new head coach uh, and help kids kind of understand that and not look at you as, as maybe just the GV coach or an assistant? Um, I think that from a player
2: standpoint, that was really easy. I had mm-hmm. I had, had those players um, – you know, our JV and our JV two practice together and our varsity practice is separate. That's always how it's been at North Marion.
0: Um, and so I
2: had, had, I had been in the same gym with them as freshmen, as sophomores. And, uh, there was a lot of turnover from a, a player standpoint when he left. Um, when coach Parkinson left, I was able to, you know, I had coached all these guys on JV and a lot of them I had just had the previous year.
3: Um,
2: and so, from from that standpoint, the relationship was there, the respect was there, and it was really like, hey, let's go accomplish something, let's go play basketball. Um, I think for I think one thing that was somewhat difficult is I was 27 and I looked probably 21 or 22, so <laughs> from from people out outside of the outside of the program, that was something that I had to to really. Um, I guess make sure that I was doing things that could be seen as being the figurehead of a program. Like I think it took a, a couple years with officials to to get there. Um, mm-hmm. And there were there were always people, you know. Oh, hey, are you one of the players? Said, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> when when we were in the state tournament my first year, um, the announcer came up and asked my assistant coach, who was the mm-hmm. oldest coach in our program, like, oh, hey, coach, you know, how's it going? He just pointed over to me. And it's you know it was something that I, I had to get used to, and you know over the years that that side of it became easier as well. But I really just had a great group of, of guys, and that's going to trump anything else that is coming up.
1: So, for sure, yeah, I've been in a similar experience, coach. I was younger in my first head coaching job, and I've had many officials uh, or announcers approach my assistants.
2: Uh, yeah. Which isn't necessarily a
1: bad thing, right? Maybe you don't. No, doctor, sometimes it's but, great. But, <laughs> right. But uh, the assistant doesn't appreciate it as much, I don't think. So, right. keep that in mind. <laughs> um, what would a typical practice look like for you guys? And I know it'll change beginning of the year, middle of the year, end of the year. But what, what does a typical practice maybe look like in, in the middle of in the middle of your season?
2: I would say fast paced and competitive are a couple of words that I would think of. Um you know there are going to be things that you do every day. So we in the last few years we've moved to a skill work warm up where guys are working in their individual skill work groups rather than doing like a you know stereotypical warm up together. So when the guys get out of school they they go get into their practice uniforms and as soon as they can get up there they just start working on uh, we rotate them through different different things so like one group uh for a week they might be working on shooting the next week they might be working on ball handling. The next week maybe post moves. So that's an everyday thing to get themselves ready. And then, you know, we're going to work on our offense. We're going to work on our defense. We're going to work transition every day. We're going to shoot free throws every day. Um, but the rest of practice is going to be focused more on on things that we're trying to improve on, um, whether, it be, whether it be something like we're going to improve on our press break because we have a team that's coming up that's going to press us, um, or we – have been struggling with our execution of sets. So we might throw in some times for some time to work on that um, or special situations, things like that. Um, as far as, you know, what you would see or hear on a good day, hopefully it's, it's loud, you know, it's, it's loud, it's active. Uh, we try to coach a lot on the fly and give direction without stopping the flow of, of our drills um, because that's, what's going to be like in a game we We encourage our players to coach each other, and we really want the older guys that have have been through it to to lead the younger guys through what's expected and and the way that we do things because when they hear it from their teammate that has been an all league selection it, it means more
3: um mm-hmm. and we
2: really want our guys to be communicative and competitive with each other, so we put things on the line for each drill, whether it's push ups or running um Myself and my assistant coach, we compete a lot with them at different things, and you know they they love to try and beat us and make us run things like that.
3: Um, mm-hmm.
2: You know we try we try to to teach the balance of okay, here are times when we can have fun and joke around, and and here are times when we really need to work and be serious. Because um, it I mean you know, coach can be a grind mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. throughout the season, and it's easy to get stagnant, and you know we just want to try and bring some things to to keep it fun.
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely. Do you talk to your uh older kids or your leaders about taking initiative to help coach the younger kids up or like I think that's one of the things that I think we as coaches maybe expect from our older players, but sometimes they need prompting. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like do you have to prompt them to coach the younger kids up or is it something that maybe is just Become part of your culture, and they do it without you needing to encourage them.
2: I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, at this point now, our older kids were younger kids and were coached up by their teammates, and, and so they kind of know that that is what is ex- expected of them. Um, but there's definitely prompting too. So you know, let's say we we stop a drill and and say, Hey, we want you to we want you to do this, not what you did. And the kid is, is wondering why. And then we can say, Oh, hey, Sergio, tell him, tell him why that's important. Tell him why getting out in a hard hedge is, helps you who's in help defense, you know, something like that. Um, and then, you know, put the kids on the spot a little bit, but it's a question that they're super confident to answer because they know the answer. Um, and then a lot of the times that leads into them, them coaching each other when when their group is off for a rep or things like that and you know ultimately that's the goal is you know we want them to coach each other as well
1: yeah how do you define success in your program um
2: so i think i think this is something that we split into categories so you know i think i i could say life success school success mm-hmm and basketball success, um, and it, it should be in that order. Life success is most important. If, if somebody has something that is bothering them in their life, they're not going to be able to be successful at basketball. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, we want to help our guys grow into uh, productive and, and good young men. We want them to be in a position where after they leave high school, they're capable of accomplishing the things that they want to in life and are able to lead a fulfilling life that they're happy with. Um, So we spend a lot of time together during a normal season, and and we want them to know that we support them in chasing their overall goals. Um, We try to talk to our our kids. Luckily, myself and my assistant coach are are both uh, teachers, so we see them every day, you know, whether it's between classes, whether they, you know, pop into our our classroom, uh, whether they – slept in a little late and didn't have time to get school breakfast. So they come and grab a granola bar real quick so that they're not tardy and have to miss practice. Um, you know, we want them to know that we're there for them in in all aspects of of their life. Um, and so, you know, sometimes that comes with sacrifices. So for example, uh the last couple of seasons, we've had, I think, six of our guys go on to play college baseball, three go on to play college football and one one that was a college basketball player. And so, you know, knowing that, knowing that their goals might not their overall goals might not lie in basketball is something that we have to take into account and, you know, be okay with them playing a lot of baseball in the summer. Cause that's their overall goal. Um, you know, on the school success side, it's going to look different for different guys, but we have guys that are trying to be valedictorians and we want to support them in that. We have guys that really are just trying to avoid being on, on study table, um, which is where if they have lower than a two point, they have to come in early on a Wednesday morning when we have late start and, and work on school. Um, so we try and help them stay accountable to those things. You know, we've had guys that they really were trying to go a week without getting in trouble at school and, and support them there. And then last, last of it comes to basketball success. So every, you know, every season we want to put in the work that can allow us to hit our, our peak. Uh, that could look different each year based on the, the ebbs and flows of talent that you have coming in at the high school level. Um, but, you know, every year we want to compete for a league title. We want to make the final eight, and we want to make a run. Um, and, and, you know, based on based on the year, that is something that, you know, could, could definitely happen, could possibly happen. Um, but that those are our goals. Like, that's what we want to try and do. And, and we've been able to do each of those things in in the last uh, few years. So guys know it's possible. It's just finding the way to get there and putting in the work to, to maximize your chances at, at making those things happen. So.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> After a game, is there anything that you use? uh Maybe it's analytics or certain statistics, or is it just off of feel? Like, how do you know if, if you guys played well? in that game? Is there anything you use to kind of measure that to see if you've actually uh, played to the the best of your abilities? Yeah. So
2: we have game goals every game um, that are, that are statistical numbers that we try and reach. So we're always going to have an offensive goal. We're always going to have a defensive goal. Um, And then we are always going to have other goals that are created that are game specific. So, you know, maybe, Maybe one game we're, we're going up against a team that has, like, let's say Staten a couple of years ago where they were super, super big in the post. So one of our game goals was going to be we want to get to the line, you know, 20 times and, and make free throws at a 70% clip or an 80% clip. Um, just to try and promote, like, we need to still get to the basket. Um, you know, it, let's say there's a team that wants to slow us down and we'll set a deflection goal. Like we want to have this many deflections. And that's something that we update at halftime. And then uh we update it again at the end of the game. And, you know, the games where we meet all of our goals, the guys are, are pumped. Like, cause that, that rarely happens, right? We try and set goals that are, that are difficult,
3: difficult to achieve. Um
2: But it's something that they, they really get, uh get into. And if we're, let's say that, our goal is to be plus eight on the offensive – on second-chance point, right? Uh, and at halftime, we're plus two. You know, we might be winning, but we're plus two. Then, guys, it's always a talking point. Like, hey, we're only plus two right now. Like, if we get to plus eight, where are we going to be? Like, we're going to be in good shape. So it's something that, that can help us gauge at halftime what our success is and then at the end of the game as well.
1: Yeah. Your offensive and defensive goals—do do those change each game, or are those the same throughout the year? And, and how do you come up with those goals? Um, they change each game.
2: I don't necessarily know if it's by a lot, and you know, some some games we might end up being very similar to what what we were before, um, but the way that they would change is going to be based on opponent, based on what the anticipated tempo of the game is going to be. Uh, You know, especially if it's a tempo battle, like if we want to play fast and we know the other team wants to play slow, then we try and set our goals in a, in a way where, you know, we win the tempo battle and we speed them up a little bit. Um, So it's, it's something that is subject to change based on opponent.
1: Right. Coach, I've, I've talked with some other coaches about uh, your teams, and one of the things that, that they uh, note is, is your team's toughness and, and how you guys get after it. Um, how do you build toughness within your program? Yeah. Um, so, I, I again,
2: I'd break this down into two. Uh, there's physical toughness and there's mental toughness. You know, you, you hope for and you try to instill both. Um, but in my mind, mental toughness is – is the more important of the two. Uh i I think that we've been lucky to some extent on on some of the guys that we've had come through. Um so on our team that went to the state championship game, uh we had guys like Josiah Ramon, Josh Umbenauer, kwatly Vereski, Terry Cook, Tanner Scanlon that these guys are are both physically and mentally tough. Um mm-hmm they never believed that they were going to lose. So it it wasn't a, even things can be going poorly all game. It's a, okay, our, our plan didn't work. Now what's our new plan in order to get there? Um, And that's a mental toughness that I think is tough to instill. Um, But it's, it's a lot easier if you have guys that can, that can pass that feeling down uh, to the rest of the team. So, like yeah, we might be down eight. You might have played poorly, but with four minutes to go, okay, now we just have to shift our plan. And we all believe that it's going to happen. Um, and that type of resilience and mental toughness is is something that is going to take you a long way. Um, and I and I do feel like that that group really set the tone with a lot of our younger kids. Like okay, this is this is the way we do things.
3: Um, you know. It's,
2: some ways that we try to instill it, I guess, is uh, we try and put players in positions where they're going to fail in practice, or it's going to be really difficult for them to win a drill, you know, based on the rules that we put, or uh, based on the benchmark that we set, um, you know, it's going to take their very, very best to to meet that goal, um, and we want them to know that failure failure's going to happen. Just it's going to happen. There's going to be times in games where you have a defensive breakdown. There's going to be times in games where a good team puts an 8-0 run on you because that's basketball. And and we want them to know that failure is happening. It's going to happen. But if you can respond in a positive manner to it and in a resilient manner to it, uh, then you're going to be able to to put a run back on them. Um, you know, I think another another way that we kind of look at it is if we attack the game with everything that we have, then we can live with the result. It might not be that we win, like we, we might have to get better in a few areas. Um, but as long as we, you know, put ourselves out there and are willing to make mistakes, then, uh, then it's something we can live with. And I, and I think that sometimes that can help minimize the consecutive mistakes in, in a row. Um, you know, I, I tell my guys all the time, and I, I want them to know that I'm okay with them making mistakes because I'm going to make mistakes. They're all going to make mistakes. If they're a hundred percent physical mistake, then okay, we live with it. We move on. Um, You know, we try and limit mental mistakes and we don't tolerate effort mistakes, but physical mistakes, that's okay. You know, we're going to, we're going to move on and we're going to go forward. So I think all those things kind of can go into this, you know, toughness or resiliency that, okay, this is what we need to do to accomplish, you know, our, our end goal. So. Yeah.
1: What are some of the restrictions or adaptations you do to put kids at a disadvantage in practice?
3: Um, so one thing that we,
2: we do all the time is we adjust scoring rules. So uh, let's say that we're having our, our group of starters or our first team work something defensively. Um, then we might say that for every stop, it's one point for every basket. It's worth however many points it's worth for every offensive rebound. It's worth two points. So there's a a lot of ways for the offense to score points, but the defense just has to contend or consecutively string together stops. Or, or we say if they force a turnover, it's two points. Uh, so it's tough. I mean, you have to, you have to get three, four, five stops in a row sometimes, especially if the, the offensive team is hitting a 3 um or or in a drill where you know our typical is 120 we might say our goal is 135 um and so we really have to have to get after it and and it's really kind of neat to see how kids adjust and adapt to that what kids are willing to dig in and try to do the work and and what kids initially are hesitant like that's not, that's not fair coach Okay, well mm-hmm. we might be in a position where we have to dig ourselves out of something. Let's let's do it. Let's try, see what happens.
1: So right. and then would you if you don't meet that goal, is that where, you know, push ups are running or is it kind of based on effort? You know, if they gave a hundred percent and didn't reach the goal, are you gonna reward that by not having that, you know, stick, I guess, for lack of a better term? I I, I think you... it I think it
2: yeah, I think it kinda of depends on on the situation um you know if we set the rules and we say that you guys are playing a competitive game and this is how it's going to go then then yeah the losing side's going to have whatever was put on the line um but that but that doesn't mean that they didn't do a good job as well and i think that we try to to promote that like hey it was it was going to be tough and you guys were close but you know ultimately ultimately you fell short this time and that's okay um so but then other times if if it's something that you know, it's not met and it's a team, team drill, um, then, you know, maybe there won't be pushups or running on the line for it. It, And it is really more effort. So,
1: right. All right. Good stuff, coach. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return with more from coach Wagner right after this on the Oregon basketball coaches podcast.
0: The start of school means it's time to sign up or renew your Oregon Basketball Coaches Association membership. OBCA membership includes access to exclusive resources that help personalize instruction, understand players' mindsets, and maximize the impact of your practices. Members also receive access to the OBCA mentoring program and have a voice in improving the game at the state level. Membership starts at just $15 a year. Register online today at or.nhsbca.org.
1: Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Dooman here with Coach Tully Wagner. Uh, Coach, jumping into our second segment here, um, what does game prep look like for you guys? How much of your attention is is focused on the, the upcoming team and who you're playing and how much of it is spent? Uh, kind of focused on you and, and how you're going to attack them.
2: I think that we kind of split this into non-league and league. Um, so in our mm-hmm. in our non-league season, we're mostly focused on ourselves. Uh, we want to figure out what type of team we have, where we're going to be successful, um, and how best to use those things that we're good at in order to to win games or be successful. Um, you know obviously i 'm still going to watch film on all of our opponents, but as a team in practice we 're not going to spend practice time um running through opposing team sets or or things like that because we 're really trying to to learn our own sets and become efficient with them
3: um mm-hmm.
2: you know the guys the guys are still going to get information pre game on on personnel um you know and i I might try to call out actions during the game if i 've seen them on film um but we're not we're not spending a lot of practice time on the other team, non-league season. Um, And then kind of the league season, we're going to pay more attention to our opponents. Um, We give them each, we give each guy a detailed scouting report um, that our guys read out loud together before every game um, where they, they know who they're going to guard and they know the personnel of the other team. Uh, They also know what our offensive and defensive plans are. Um, If it's a team that you know, runs a motion offense or a team that runs consistently the same sets, then we're probably going to walk through those in practice and talk about how we want to guard them. Um, but I, we don't get into the minutia of these are their four under out of bounds um, because our guys, our guys sometimes forget our out of bounds sets. So I don't want to, <laughs> them to try to remember, uh, remember four of these other teams that we're not going to see again. Uh, we're just going to trust our defensive principles in, in those, you know, those situations. Um, and then we also often have what we call one big thing, uh, and that's like the biggest thing that we have to do in order to be successful for the game. Um, so, for example, we might say we are going to run all their shooters off the three-point line and trust our health defense. Like we're not going to give up uncontested threes. That's our one big thing. And, and guys go into the game knowing, okay, it's okay if I get beat uh, because I have my teammates in help side, but I'm not going to give up this open three with a slow closeout. Um, or, uh, you know, another one would be like, we really need to limit live ball turnovers because this team's really good in uh, forcing turnovers and turning it into points. So things, things like that, that we really focus on that they understand like, okay, when we make mistakes, we're not going to make this mistake. And we'll live with some of the other ones.
1: Yeah, one of the uh, things that is sometimes tough for us coaches, but super important to the success of our team is is kind of defining roles for our players. How do you do that within your program, and how do you get kids to then buy in to their role? Yeah, uh, I think number one is building
2: relationships. Um, So I'm lucky enough to be at North Marion where we have the same kids from when they're little all the way through high school, not a lot of our kids leave and we don't get a lot of kids coming in. Um, So I meet most of the guys that end up being on my high school team um, when they're in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, uh, often at our youth camp or on their tournament teams. Um, And so hopefully I have a lot of interactions with them before they come into the program. And and that's helpful for sure. Um, But then once they're, once they're in the program, we just try to make a really concerted effort to tell them the truth you know, about what they're good at, about what they need to improve on. Um, but the truth, even if it's something that they, they don't want to hear. Um, and so luckily at the younger levels, they get to ex- experiment with multiple roles a lot of the time um, because we swing players a lot. So we probably swing players as much as any, any team, uh, which means that a lot of times guys are going to have the chance to be, you know, the guy on one team and a contributing role player on the other team Um you know, uh, the guy on JV2 and a, a good role player on JV. Um, and so when they get to varsity, you know, hopefully they have been in multiple roles. Um, and then also, hopefully we've told them the truth so many times and they've seen that that was, that was true. That when it comes time to discussing the role before the season, um, that they can say, yeah, this is where I'm at. A lot of times kids know where they're at. Um, and, and they can accept it. Um, so that's that's one thing I think that that we do. Um and then another thing that we do just with our varsity team every year is we have the kids sit down and rank themselves and their teammates um in order of this is the best player, this is the weakest player in our varsity gym. Um we have them rank them. And it's all anonymous. So we're not getting into, you know, kids aren't kids aren't getting into, oh, you ranked me last, you know, that sort of thing um right. but then we sit the we sit the kid down and we say okay you ranked yourself let's say 3 your teammates ranked you an average of 4.2 and as coaches we ranked you an average of 4 so you know you're pretty close to to what you know what the coaches and the your teammates think of you um here are the things that you do well here are the things that you can improve on you know if if a guy is is ranked by the players and coaches, like eight or nine, um, and they rank themselves three, then, you know, sometimes that can be difficult, but it's a good discussion to have. But usually it doesn't happen. Actually, what we see more is, is kids rank themselves eight and their teammates rank them six.
3: Uh, and right. so
2: that can be a, that can be a, nice, a nice boost. Um, but it also gives us a chance of, okay, you're, you're ranked nine. What do you need to do to get into the consistent rotation? These are the things that you need to do. Um, and so it's, it's something that I was real, real hesitant when I, when I came up with the idea on like, oh, this could go one or the other, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um And it's really been a good thing, um, with guys kind of seeing where they're at and, and having that, that true conversation of, okay, this is, this is what I need to improve on. Um, or, you know, for some guys, it's been, wow, I'm one of the top two guys. Like I need to be a leader. I need to step up and take on more than than what I maybe was trying to. I was just trying to blend in, and now I need to be one of our team leaders because this is what my teammates think of me. Um, so it's been pretty good.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about swing players for a second because I know that's something that I think can be really hard on the, the kids themselves. Um, mm-hmm. in, in my experience, sometimes talking to my swing players, they they don't feel like they're part of either team, right? Because maybe they're right. – practicing with one team but doing most of the playing with the other team. Uh so mm-hmm. like when you're when you're going to swing a kid, what does that conversation look like and how do you kind of I don't know, keep them engaged in having to be on two teams, quote unquote, at, at once um and still preparing to the best of their ability.
2: Yeah, that's a good question because it it definitely can be difficult.
1: Um I I would say first of all,
2: with most of our swing kids, they have a a primary team that is their team. And then when they're playing with, with the other team, um, they're really focusing on working on specific things. Um, And, you know, they can integrate as a part of that team. A lot of the guys that we swing between JV two and JV, they're already practicing together. Um, So it's really easy to, to feel like they're a part of both. Sometimes for the kids that, are practicing with varsity and playing a majority of their minutes, JV, um, it, it can be a little bit difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, the conversation that we come back to is we want to maximize your minutes because by keeping you around and you making the team in our program, you know, we think that eventually you can be a contributing piece at the varsity level. So right now your, your minutes might be coming on JV. And it might not be any fault of your own. There's just, you know, guys that have have been here longer or guys that are a little more skilled in certain areas than you. Um, and so for those kids, almost all of them would rather play minutes on JV than sit on the bench on varsity, um, which is what we want. Um, but the other thing that, that I think that we do is we really try to preach that our program is our program. And we have three teams in our program and we want all of our teams to be successful and all of us are going to contribute to the success of all of our teams. Um, So that's something that, you know, is super important for us as
1: well. Yeah. How do you, just follow up on that, you know, sort of a varsity player, I remember a first team all league kid, how does that kid contribute to your JV2 team's success or how do you sell that to them?
2: Well, So we mandate that our players go to each game. So uh, normally our JV is going to play first at the four o'clock time slot when the varsity is at seven. Um, And so, you know, we let our varsity players leave after school, go get a snack, but they need to be back in the gym at four o'clock to support their teammates. We ask our JV2 kids to stay for the varsity game. We ask our JV kids, if they're not swinging varsity, to stay for our varsity game as well. And it means a lot for a JV2 kid to look over in the stands and and see that all-league player watching them and cheering for them and after the game saying, oh, man, that was a nice move that you put on that guy for the layup, or that was a great three that you hit, or nice clutch free throws. Like, that means a lot to our younger kids. And hopefully, the the idea is that as those younger kids then turn into the all-league player, as they're older, you know, they know what that feels like and they want to give back to, to the younger kids. Um, you know, as a, as a coaching staff also, we, we basically say that, you know, every team has their head coach, but the rest of us are assistant coaches.
3: Um, and so,
2: actually, I think, you know, my first year it was kind of born more out of me being nervous, but I sit on the bench for each, <laughs> each game um, and I make sure the kids know, like, I'm not your coach, I'm an assistant right now. You know, your head coach is the one that's in charge of your team. They're making the decisions, but I'm going to give you, you know, little things on the side when you come out of the game. And, uh, I think it's, it's really, for the most part, created just a a program feel. So like we get, Mm -hmm. we get really excited when we get program sweeps and when we get on the bus and we've won all three games, you know, the guys yell and they pretend they have brooms and things like that. And they just get (laughs) to let out some energy and, and they love it. So, uh, I think that that's one of the one of the ways that our older guys know that they're being role models and contributing to the success of of our younger teams.
1: I know, or at least talking to, and I've, I've seen you guys play a couple times. I I know that you tend to be a little more aggressive on the defensive end. Uh, kind of curious, what is that, or why is that? Why do you guys decide to play that way, and and how do you get kids to buy in on the defensive end of the floor?
2: Yeah, so actually, schematically, I don't think that I would consider us all that aggressive. We don't press a lot. We, we mm-hmm. haven't trapped a lot. We're not super aggressive on blitzing ball screens or things like that generally. Um, but we do spend a lot of time on aggressive help rotations, and we want our kids to play physical but without fouling. Uh, so things like preaching wall-ups around the basket, bumping cutters, things like that. Um, you, know, you know, Coach, the, the aggressive team – Generally gets the calls as well, so you know we want to be as aggressive as we can in in each situation um, so that we can kind of establish our style of play uh on the game and you know basically, our goal defensively is we want to make the other team sacrifice something in order to have success, so whether that means they have to score over Wallops without getting free throws all night. Um, or their best player has to turn into a facilitator and, you know, maybe not even make assists but more hockey assists because we have hard help and rotate aggressively to the first pass. Like we want to make sure that they have to sacrifice something in order to be successful. Um, and, and I guess on on the other question of how how we get them to buy in, I think that I guess it's really more buying into winning because you're not going to win – against good teams without playing defense. Um, and another another thing that we started a couple of years ago was something call, – we call them kills. Um, other coaches mm-hmm. call them different things, but it's, you know, three stops in a row. Um, and we want to have seven kills for a game. And I, I've noticed that, you know, our guys get really into – if we're one stop away from a kill, it means something. Like the mm-hmm. level of intensity goes up, the level of aggressiveness goes up, they get super excited. Uh, the guys on the bench get super excited. And it just brings that energy into a, just another what would have been normal possession in the game that maybe we wouldn't have had that, that energy in. Um, and so I think that, like, with our team this last year, one of our strengths was turning defense into offense. So when we got into that cycle of getting consecutive stops and kills um it really snowballed pretty quickly and we were able to, to go on, you know, sometimes ten, fifteen point runs in a couple of minutes. And I, I mean I really think a lot of it has to do with the energy of knowing, oh, we just accomplished one of our mini
3: goals. Um so
1: Yeah. How do you approach player development? I know you talked a little bit about kind of your pre-practice routine. Um, Kids would be working on that. But kind of year-round, how do you approach uh, player development? And and how do you approach it program-wide and even into your youth levels?
2: Yeah. So I think that we take a positionless basketball approach. um, And that really starts down at the youth levels. So we want everybody to be able to handle the ball. We want everybody to be able to make an open kick-out three. Um, and, and starting that in the youth levels is, I think, really important because I think we've all seen that the kids that are bigger than people in middle school and they don't have to develop their other skills and they get into the high school game and aren't able to have as much success. Um, so we really try and hammer that with our, our youth programs and our tournament teams so that they are starting to really work on each skill for each individual. Um, our high school staff runs our youth tryouts for our tournament teams every year. Um, and we also work on all of those skills when we have our youth camps, you know, if we're able to have a youth camp, we haven't ha- had one in the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's goal. Number one, um, you know, as they get into high school and year, year round could be tough, um, especially at the four a level, because, you're not going to be successful at the 4A level without multi-sport athletes. And so, you know, most of our kids are, are three-sport athletes that we have. Uh, we've had a ton of football, basketball, baseball guys in the past few years. And so, you know, during their, their own sports-specific seasons, um, when it's not basketball season, we really want them to focus on those other things. I think that, you know, mentally it's it's nice to get a break. Um, but we might give them a shooting workout or something that they can do when they have time. Um, and then, you know, always in the, in the summer, we're gonna, we're gonna have things that each kid can work on. Like, these are the things that you need to improve on. Here are some drills that can help you. Uh, here are the times you can get into the gym and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think that, you know, we've seen a lot of our players really, really take those things to heart and say, okay, I really need to get better at my handle if I want to be better next year. So Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's been good for us.
1: Yeah. Do you ever do anything program wide? Uh, I know you said your JV and JV2 practice together. Do you ever take a day or do anything where kind of all three teams are, are together um, or is it typically pretty split throughout the year?
2: I'd say, I would say mostly, it's split um we we do have certain things where we do together, um so a lot of times we'll bring up the the j v and the j v two to give us a look at something um mm-hmm. you know whether it's putting eight guys on the court to to press us or uh you know work on on certain things where we need more bodies or or bodies that you know haven't seen everything that we're doing in practice all the time uh sometimes it's it's easier to work on set plays when. You're going against people that haven't seen them um, mm-hmm. so there are things like that that we will do um you know a lot of our off season workouts we do all we do everybody together um if we can um so so that's kind of a, a way that we we bring guys together with continuity no.
1: uh coach I wanted to ask about you know the last year or so I, I know it's been tough on basketball players and coaches alike in the state of Oregon um how have you kind of dealt or engaged your team uh with with the pandemic and the restrictions and and how are you prepping for this uh kind of strange season that we're going to have coming up uh fingers crossed in May and June
3: yeah it's been tough
1: um
2: you know right right when it started we were getting ready to play in a quarter final game so uh, I, at the beginning, that was, that was the whole focus of communicating with our guys, trying to process through the, you know, like every team in the final eight, I'm sure we all thought we had a great chance to win a state championship and not getting that opportunity is tough. Um, so trying to keep consistent communication with, with the guys during the pandemic has been, uh, I guess goal number one. Not, not even necessarily about basketball. Check in with right. guys. How are you doing? You know how how's you, how's your mental state right now? How are you keeping up in school? You know what can we do to help you? Uh, things like that. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been tough um, because uh, you know for everybody, coaches, players, we're used to to doing this every single day, and going from every single day to nothing is is something that's difficult. Um, but as far as basketball has gone uh, we have a google classroom for basketball where we post workouts um, so guys can still work on individual skills that they need um, and yet more recently we've been able to come back and do workouts in the gym a couple times a week uh, we actually did them outside for a while before we were allowed to come in uh, one day we, mm-hmm. took, we had eight kids and it was the snow was coming in from the sides of our covered area and uh, the kids loved it they were just happy that they were there uh, couldn't feel their hands, but they they were happy that they were there. Um, and so that's kind of how we've been been approaching it. Um, preparing for the the season is hopefully a, it will be a ramp up from into, from our workouts into you know hopefully at some point we're going to be able to do some live stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we'll take it one day at a time. You know things are things are changing. I've I've learned that it's hard to make plans when the plans change from you know, week to week or month to month. So, you know, just trying to tackle it from a day-to-day basis and just hope that we have a season so that we can get out there and play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know uh, coaches statewide are sharing that sentiment as well. Right. uh, Things are looking good. Things are looking good at least.
2: we're trending in the right direction, it appears.
1: Exactly. Yes. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we return, Coach Wagner will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast.
0: Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association on social media at facebook.com slash OregonBCA or on Twitter at Hoop Coaches.
1: Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Tully Wagner. He's the boys' basketball coach at North Marion High School. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, uh, I'm going to put 35 seconds on a timer, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions that should take only one to two words to answer. And uh, we're going to see how many questions we can get through in 35 seconds. Okay. I did? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll put 35 seconds on the timer starting now. Do you think Oregon high school basketball should have a shot clock? Yes. Should it be implemented at the sub varsity levels? Yes. If you're up three with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? Usually. How big of a lead do you need before you pull off a press?
2: 20 in the second half.
1: Favorite way to guard on ball screens? Hedge. Do you think the three point line should be moved back? Probably. What's your favorite sports movie?
2: Ooh, uh, remember the Titans.
1: What's one word officials would use to describe you?
2: Calm, but hopefully helpful.
1: Time. Good work, Coach. Good work. That was a good Thank possession. You. Good possession. Um. Coach, I want to jump in a little bit on, you know, the shot clock segment, uh, kind of a fun way to ask coaches a lot of questions in a short amount of time, but also a hot topic issue in our state and across the country. Uh, You noted you were in favor of the shot clock. Can you expound on, on why that is?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that not a ton of teams stall, but
1: it's just not very fun
2: for anybody involved. The team that's stalling doesn't really want to stall. The team that's being stalled against doesn't like it. Um, so I think that a shot clock, you know, eliminates that. But also I think it brings in a lot of other strategic aspects to the game.
3: Um,
2: you know, on a possession-to-possession basis, I don't think the shot clock is going to impact most teams. I know we, we played in California with a 30-second shot clock, and maybe once it impacted us, um, we I don't know that we can hold the ball for 35 seconds consistently <laughs> without turning it over. We want to shoot first. Um, but I think at the end of quarters and, you know, when you get into two for one situations, it's, it's something that, you know, can be, it can add another wrinkle to the game. So I'm in favor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Coach, what's the strangest thing you've seen uh, in a basketball gym? In practice could be a game. What's kind of something unusual that you've Oof. experienced?
2: Um, maybe the coolest, strangest thing I've seen is uh, when I was scouting a, or I was recruiting in a Philly high school gym, um, there was a, probably a 5'10 kid on a fast break, and a guy set up to take a charge, and he jumped over him and dunked it. Um, and, oh, my gosh, the place went crazy. It's like the whole crowd, we – basically became friends in one one play because we all knew that we just witnessed something crazy. Um, so that was really cool. Um, but on something that I was involved in, once um, the opposing coach called all his timeouts in the first half and four of them were in the second quarter. And by the fourth mm. timeout in the second quarter, the guys came over and I looked at him and I was like, guys, I'm out of stuff. I don't have anything for you. And they just started <laughs> laughing at me because that's never happens, but I was like, I don't know. Um, that's it. So just you know, get your water, take your break. Um, so that was that was pretty interesting. I never had that happen before.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of time out. You guys must have had quite a run there, coach. That's good. That's a good thing for you. You know, it
2: it was a, it was a run, but it wasn't. We were up like twelve, so it was oh.
1: interesting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting for sure. Um, most coaches, uh, you know, practice, you know, special situations, right? To kind of prepare for if you're in that situation in a game, do you have a favorite special situation that you practice or prepare for? Um,
2: I, I think, I don't know if I would call it favorite, but probably the one that we practice most frequently is, uh, either a sideline out of bounds or a baseline out of bounds that we need. Um, in the last seconds of the game,
3: um,
2: or or just the, the final possession when we, we need a bucket, you know, wh- when, to, when to go, when to initiate the play sequence, that sort of thing. Uh, that's probably what we end up doing most. Um, we do a lot of other special situations too, and uh, we obviously practice, you know, down eight, couple minutes to go, things like that. But I think the one that we end up most with is what do we have to execute when we have the ball and the game's on the line then we need a bucket
1: for sure. How do you go about selecting your team captains?
2: We have our players vote for them. Um, you know, I think that your team leaders amongst the players are, are going to be who the players listen to anyway. So whether they're captains or not, those are going to be the voices in the locker room. So we let our, our kids vote. And then uh, if for some reason we're concerned as a coaching staff about the choice of a captain, then we'll set benchmarks or parameters on what that, and sit down with them and say, "Hey, look, your your teammates voted you a captain. We appreciate that and support it. Um, but here are some things that you know you need to make sure that you're doing um, in order to be an effective captain, and, and that's that's worked for us."
1: Yeah, what are some of the responsibilities or duties uh, that you give your captains?
2: So positive feedback, number one. Uh, We want them to try and keep, keep it positive amongst teammates. Um, You know, we, we ask them to, to take a vocal approach in practice and, and coach their teammates as, as we're going. Um, You know, we ask them to, to come to us with, with things that they think we need to discuss things that are important, things that are impacting the team. Um, And we let them know that, you know, they they have a say in how the team is run and, You know, I think that as a coaching staff, we don't like to tell them no without a reason. So if they come to us and say, hey, we really want to do this, then they know that it's at least going to be considered and we'll have a reason if we shoot it down. Right.
1: Do you have a favorite team bonding activity that you guys
2: do? Yeah, team dinners. Um, So during league season, the night before a Friday game, so usually Thursday nights, uh, we'll go to a, a different player's house. And have a team dinner um and it's just it's really cool to see because by that point they're so comfortable with us that we you know we don't see how polite they are we don't see how respectful they are so we go into other people's houses and just see our kids you know and the way that they treat the host and how grateful they are for the for the meal Uh, and then just sitting all down together and being able to talk about things that aren't basketball or you know they love when they can beat their coaches in video games and things like that so uh, it's been, it's been a great time at, at team dinners.
1: For sure. You gotta, you have to bring out the the Super Nintendo or the N sixty four next time, Coach. I don't, those right. guys don't know how to how to get on those ones.
2: <laughs> I try to steer it to ping pong, but you know that's not <laughs> always an option.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I like it. Uh,
1: do you have a favorite drill that you guys do, or or maybe do a lot?
2: Yeah. So well, okay, so. I listened to Coach Westerholm on your podcast, and he actually took Mm -hmm. my favorite drill, of course. Um, I think, I think you said you call it three ball. So that's probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. But, but my other, my other favorite in the last couple of years is we have a four on three closeout drill, um, where the offense, we say they have to go by what we call Spurs rules. So when they catch, they have to attack, pass, um, or shoot immediately. Um, And the three defenders are not allowed to zone up. So they have to rotate consistently and then we'll give the offensive players maybe seven passes to, to get a layup. Um, And I've really liked that because the defense is just flying around and they really have to communicate and the offense has to make quick decisions. So uh, it's, it's been my favorite most recently anyway.
1: Yeah. No, I like it. It helps build what we were talking about earlier with the defensive side of the ball and helping rotation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. All right, Coach. I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for sharing the game with us today. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. It's it's good to talk basketball.
1: Yes, yeah, it's been a while, right? It's been a while. Yeah. Hopefully, we're gonna see, see everybody on the floor again soon. So, yeah. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Wagner, you can find his contact information in our episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach them up.
0: Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.